Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. We strive to lead people to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Our goal is to tear down the walls that have kept people away from church to help them build a relationship with God, our Creator. We are so glad you're tuning in today. We hope and pray that this leads you to Jesus and His path for your life. So, without further ado, here is today's teaching. We are in week four of this series called Hands and Feet, when we are the body. And it was directly a response to Hurricane Florence hits Wilmington. What do we as a church do about that? What can we do? Uh, and, And so in the Bible, we're taught that Jesus is the head of the church and that we are his body. And we talked a lot about that, the different parts we can play. And there's kind of this metaphor, hands and feet. We get to go out and do the work of God's kingdom. So we've talked a lot about God's kingdom and what it means to invite other people in. We've covered a lot of ground. In week one, we met Nehemiah from the Old Testament. He had a pretty big recovery task. He had to rebuild a wall that had been down for generations. Uh, His city was uh, completely defenseless and he was able to come back from captivity uh, to the Persians at the time and then come in and help rebuild this this wall and he did an amazing time and from that week we learned that when the body of Christ takes action it brings hope and so that's what we want to do as a church in our community we want to bring hope in week two uh, we went to a banquet with Jesus and we learned uh, through the banquet that we have a mission to go out and invite people to this feast that God has prepared invite people to the table and so there's this kind of like evangelistic, let's just go. Like we, we love, we're in a cool place as a church because we openly say we are church for people who don't like church. If you're here this morning and you're like, I'm just here because my friend invited me, I kind of hate church. Uh, it's weird that you're in a movie theater, but it's kind of cool because I'm kind of thinking about falling asleep because these chairs are comfortable. Like we want to be the church for you, but we also are the church. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we've got to be open-minded about inviting people in. And so that was week two. And then week three, which was last week, um, we, we talked about what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God. And, and we learned that the path to greatness in the kingdom of God is to serve like Jesus. Remember, we talked about being game changers. We're game changers. And so that's been this series. And it's been a great journey as a church family to kind of recalibrate after such a disaster like Hurricane Florence. And, and as things are getting more and more cleaned up in town and the county's finally getting most of the debris cleaned up, you know, the, the news cycle has ended. The Hurricane Florence coverage has been bigger and better storms. We're like yesterday's news. It's real easy for us to move on for that as the church. And just be like, okay, can we just get back to normal stuff again? Uh, but I think it's been a great wake-up call to say, you know, people need the love of Jesus and we'll use this to, to, to you know, encourage us to do that. The thing about being the body of Christ is that if we're the body, we're not in charge. We're not the head. One time Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, he said, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. If that sounds like a fortune cookie to you, it does. Uh, Take some time to unpack that. What Jesus is saying here is for us to really find our identity in the kingdom of God, we've got to be willing to let go of our control of our own lives. And we've got to let God guide us, God control us. We've got to be active servants in the kingdom of God. So much about being the body is about letting go of control and submitting to God. But there's a problem with that. It's a problem. It's true for me. I have a problem, okay? I got a problem, guys. Hello? My name is Chris, and I got a problem. I like to be in control. Anybody else? 
I don't like not being in control. I like to be in control. I don't like anyone, ask my wife, I don't like anyone anywhere telling me where not to go. Yesterday we went to my son's football game and there was this like air, this like fence that had like caution tape across it. And I'm like, but it's way shorter just to go through this fence. And she, stand, she, she stood here just like, but we can't, it's caution tape. I'm like, there's, there's no caution. Like it's just a, it's a field with caution tape. It's probably from something else. So I was like, you know, I don't live life on the edge like that. I'm kind of crazy. You know, I don't like being told what to do, and you probably don't either. But that's a problem because that's not the way the kingdom of God works. We don't get to be in charge. We get to be hands and feet and do the other parts. Jesus is in charge. But the thing is, it's not just me that has a problem. At least that's how I sleep at night. I think it's all of us. It's cultural. It's the American way. You know, it's the Western world. It's why it takes us so stinking long to go shoe shopping. You ever been shoe shopping? You're like, man, you're going to shoe shop with your kids? Come on. Oh, I'm like, let me get the same kind I had last time. They weren't good. But my son's like, no, 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 man. They got these new ones, and they got weird names, and they're way too expensive. And it's like, yeah, I, I, these are great. But they're blue. They're great. But like, they're like, they're like too blue. You know what I mean? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Just pick out a pair of shoes, put them in the bag, let's go home. That's our culture, though. We like to have control over every element. We want to be number one. And, and we see this all the time. We see it with children. You ever see two kids that want the same toy? Yeah, that's my toy. Uh-uh, it's my toy. Punk, pick up the Tonka truck, hit you in the head. I'm riding it on the playground. That is how we operate as human beings, and it's not just kids. We do it as adults. It, there were stories, there were reports uh, during uh, the aftermath of the hurricane when gas stations first opened up. Police had to be called because altercations were happening over who was cutting in line it's the seventh grade again. These are adults who was cutting in line at the gas stations and there were reports that someone at one place pulled a gun on someone else. What? Is that Chicago? We're in Wilmington. People move here to be safe. And, and, and people pulling guns. Now, I, try, I called some police officers. I called Brian from church here and I tried to look up on the news. I could not substantiate whether or not a gun was actually pulled or someone saw it. Could just be urban myth by now. But I can substantiate this. People be crazy on Black Friday. I mean, people have pulled guns over TVs and Xboxes. It's insane. Why? Because I want to be first. I want to have it now. I can't wait till later. I want to be number one. I want to be in control. And, and hopefully you've never been in an altercation at Walmart. If you have, this is a safe place. But please leave your gun in the car because <laughs> you're not okay. But like we need to get to a point where we recognize this about ourselves because there is something you have done. You have opened the pizza box and immediately looked for the biggest slice. Right? It's in our very nature to want to be first, to want to be best, to want to be in control. And so the hardest part, maybe, about being in the body of Christ, and that's why we're wrapping up our series with this today, is this. I don't want to be hands and feet. I want to be the head. Like, I want to be in control. I want to run this joint. And there's times where we can step back and be honest with ourselves and say, that's not possible, like I'm not. But on our day-to-day decisions, how often do we put our own desires ahead of the desires that God has asked for us to have, even to the point where maybe you just don't care what really what God wants for your life? I mean, I came to church a couple times this year. Like, that's good enough. 
But that's not the kingdom that God calls us to. So we're going to get into the Bible some this morning. Every week we love to look to the Bible for God's most important truth. If you've got a Bible, grab it. If you don't have one, look it up on your phone. We've got free ones you can have in the lobby. Uh, feel free to go get one now or you can get one on your way out. Everyone needs to have a good readable version of the Bible, and we will gladly give you that. But it'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have one. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. And, uh, and uh, you can take that down. I'll be just a second before I get to it. Philippians uh, is a really cool book of the Bible. Uh, it's in the New Testament. It was written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. And I want to give you a little bit of background because to appreciate where we're going today, it's important to understand the culture into which the Apostle Paul wrote. Okay, first of all, Paul, uh, he, he started out his you know, notoriety as an adult by being a persecutor of Christians. His job was to, he was a religious terrorist. He dragged people out of their house, asked them if they believe in Jesus, and if they said yes and wouldn't renounce their faith, he would have them killed. That was like his job. He had permission from his bosses to do that. But he meets Jesus, and it changes his world, and it's the craziest thing happened. He becomes the greatest missionary to ever live helping to establish churches all over the Mediterranean Sea area and, and, and to, to, to today. The churches we have today were because Paul went out and was, had his life changed by Jesus. It's an amazing story of change. Philippians is a book that Paul wrote to a group of people living in a city called Philippi. Um, now, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Philippi. It still exists today. It's a lot different than it was 2,000 years ago. Um, but the spread of Christianity in the first century was pretty amazing because people would hear about this message. And here's the message of Christianity. Like in American modern Christianity, the message is you got to find a good church to go to. That's, that's the message of Christianity. You got to go to church. You should come to church with me. You might go to church with them, but our church is cooler. Like that's kind of literally how most Christians evangelize. You need to come to church with me. This is not how it began. This is not how it should be. You know what the first Christians believed? They believed that God came to the world as a human, that he died, and that he, by his own power, rose from the dead. And that was their message. The Apostle Paul said, if the resurrection didn't happen, then all this is a, is a waste of time. And so what they went around doing is telling people, I believe that if, if, if I believe in this Jesus guy, believe that that actually happened, that it can cover my sin and my separation from God, and I can be in God's graces and in his kingdom and you can too and god loves us that's the message of the early church and it spread like wildfire because the culture that they were living in the gods that they believed in were nothing like the god of the bible let me tell you about the philippians the philippians uh they lived in a city called philippi philippi was founded by a guy named king uh philip the second of macedon you know this guy you might have heard his son alexander the great Philip's son, Alexander the Great, he initially started this city because he wanted to rule the world from this city, and he named it after himself, you know, like you do. <laughs> I'm going to go rule the world, and he's found a city. It didn't work out for him, but his son built on what he did and eventually builds the greatest empire the world had yet seen. It becomes the foundation for the Roman Empire, the world that Jesus enters into the scene on. And so the culture of the Romans began with the mindset of the Philippians, and so by the time Jesus hits the scene, they're Romans, and, but this, this lifestyle had changed. When you look at the city of Philippi, it is probably the best uh, research city in biblical history because people are fascinated with the things that went on there. And so, but now they're Romans. And when Paul starts the church in Philippi, he does it, this is really cool, with a small group of ladies who essentially run a laundromat 
and they're washing clothes down by a, a body of water, and, and he says, hey, ladies, you're the only Jewish people that I know in town. Let me tell you about Jesus. And so he does, this lady named Lydia, and they just start a church. But the people that they're going to reach are totally Greco-Roman people. The Greco-Roman society was all about me, 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 and me. How can I be comfortable? How can I be educated? How can I be taken care of? Uh, the, the Alexandrian form of government was built on the four, same four pillars that we continue to thrive on today. Education, uh, entertainment, health care, and what was the other one? There's four. Um, I can't remember, but there's four. And that's the society that we live in today. It's all of the major issues we vote on today are things that Alexander said. If we can give them this, we can control them. That was Greco-Roman society. And that is the people that this letter is speaking into. All right, there's your History Channel commercial for today. I'm done with that. I'm sorry if that's not your thing. So Paul writes this letter, and we're in Philippians chapter 2. And if you've been in church long, you've probably read this and heard this, but I want you to hear it with the ears of a Philippian, someone who's not trying to uh, think about anybody else. I'm only thinking about me, but Paul writes this to the Christians there. All right, we'll be in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and of one mind. Let's just leave this up here for a second. We're going to get to it. I remember geometry class in high school, uh, and I remember learning a few things. I, um, I met my wife my now wife, in geometry class in high school. So most of geometry class was a blur. I was mostly like, oh. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm just, you know, r- romantic like that. Um, but I remember my teacher teaching us one thing, and it was, it was about if-then statements. You remember if-then statements? When I've taught this in the past, you might remember me saying it before, but an if-then statement. Okay, um, they're called conditional statements, and you use them in science, you use them in math, and it's a way to kind of prove something. And, and you know this, this is common sense. You don't have to use science or math to talk about if-then statements. Like, if I run a red light in front of a cop, then I will probably get a ticket. It's an if-then conditional clause, if-then statement. If I stay up too late watching Netflix, then I will have a hard time getting up to work in the morning. It's just going to happen. If I'm being chased by a bear in the woods... I'm going to run faster than you. That's my goal, right? It's an if-then thing. The thing about if-then conditional clauses is, though, you can learn more than just what is stated because you can, you can predict what would happen if the first half isn't true. Like, if I'm not being chased by a bear, I don't see any reason to run. Like, it's not in my nature. I'm going to walk. I'm going to get there when I get there. So you can see that the second half is going to change if the first half changes. It's a pretty cool thing. It's a simple logic, logic, and Paul uses it here pretty strongly. Um, he says this, if you have any encouragement from being united with, with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing of the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So there's these four things. And again, you, you might not have those. You might not be united with Christ. You might not have experienced his love. You might not uh, have the spirit of God in your life. You might not feel compassion. That's, that's completely a possibility. But if you're in Christ, you should have these things. If these things are true, then something should happen. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. If you become a Christian, if you're going to do the Jesus thing, then it's time to get on the same page. To get on the same page. As Christians, we've got to be on the same 
page, or as Paul says it, be like-minded or of one mind. We have the same mindset on certain things. And shoot, it is easy for us to decide what we disagree on. For example, the Dallas Cowboys played the Washington Redskins last week, okay? And there was this moment near the end of the game where some official, his opinion was that there was an illegal snap motion that happened, and it caused a penalty, which put our kicker farther back, and the guy missed the field goal by like, not much, man. Now, some people think that that was okay. I disagree. (laughs) We lost the game. Uh, It's easy to find stuff to disagree on. We could do that all day. We could sit here and just disagree. And some people, that's like, you're like, Thanksgiving is not here yet. Can we not talk about that yet? Like, that's what we do. We sit around, we disagree about stuff. That's how we hang out with our friends. We argue, we disagree. Um, So we've got to define the things that we want to be agreeing on, okay? And it's not just like a motivational speech from Paul to say, look, just disagree on something. Because we could agree on bad things. Like, people have been like-minded about bad things, and bad things have happened. Like-minded people have agreed on ideas that have led to injustice. Like-minded people allowed the Holocaust to happen. Okay, so we can't just be like-minded and be like, okay, as long as we all agree, it's fine. It's not a democracy. That's not the point. The point is we need to be like-minded on a few key essential things that Jesus tells us to be like-minded about. And this is what Paul teaches us in verse 3. Don't be selfish. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So, here's our word for the day. Humility. Humility. Uh, There is a mindset that we need to adopt. If you're going to be saying that I'm in the kingdom of God, I'm a Christian, I've given my life to Jesus, I believe all this stuff about the death and resurrection of Jesus, I remember that, I believe all that, then... The mindset we've got to adopt is a mindset of humility. The mindset where other people go first. The mindset where I don't always get the biggest slice of pizza. The mindset where I'll give my time, my resources, my energy to you. Why? Because. Because that's what we do. Because that's what Jesus called us to. And that's the example that he set. Um, now, in many ways, humility is like, it's a virtue in our culture. Like, we're a, we're, we, we like, we're a service-oriented culture. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to do good things in our culture and put other people first. It's very, in fact, it's very, it's in vogue to serve. I will say that this is the most volunteering generation to have ever lived. Everybody volunteers for stuff. Every organization, some of you get, like, volunteer hours at work, so you can take time off work to go volunteer, and you get credit for that. Like, that's incredible. That's really, really good. So, so in our society, it's like, well, yeah, of course you want to be humble. Of course you want to do that. But I want to take you back to the mindset of the Philippians, Greco-Roman, first century people that Paul writes into their context and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others what? Above yourself. In, in, in this first century uh, Greco-Roman culture, the concept of humility was not a virtue. It, it, was, it was detestable. You were taught you're better than everyone else. You were brought up. My goal in society is to climb the ladder and get to the top. It's not entirely different from American society. We just lie about it. We just pretend like that's not our goal. But they were open about it in that culture. They're like, this is our goal. And humility meant servitude. It meant poverty. It meant you're probably a slave or you probably work for somebody else and eh, I don't want to be you. And so Paul writes into this context and tells them you need to put other people first. And can you imagine being a Philippian who has just recently become a Christian? You're like, oh, what? This is the main thing? Like, this is the thing we're going to rally around? 
Jesus wants us to do this with our lives? Most of us are looking out for number one. And I want to take us away from first century culture and show us that we're not altogether different from the Philippians. We look out for number one, and maybe there are a select few people that we'll also look out for. Maybe someone like with the same last name as you, someone who lives in your house, maybe your first, second cousins, or someone that you spend a lot of time with. Like, I'll give you the shirt off my back, because I know you. I know your name. I know your story. But what about a complete stranger? Or I'll raise it a notch. What about someone you don't like? What about someone that you're actually scared of them because they're not like me? They speak a different language. They come from a different faith background than me. They come from a different worldview than me. How quick are we to invite them into our homes? Or how quickly are we to lock our doors and put our windows up in certain neighborhoods? Because we are real quick to serve somebody that's like me. But if they're not like me, man, I don't know. Maybe they got people, but they're not my people. And that is the society that we live in. But we cannot, in the kingdom of God, think that way. We've got to be of one mind in this. We've got to come together and we've got to put actions with the words. Humility is about putting others first. Not because of how they make us feel or what genes or bloodlines we share, but because it's right. And that's what Jesus showed us. I want to show you what I mean uh, by getting into this idea just a little bit more today. Uh, When I stop to think about the mindset of Christianity and what does it mean to live that life, a lot of important words come to mind. Uh, Love is a really important word. Grace, peace, joy. Like these are all really important Christian concepts. They're really good things. They're awesome things to think about. I mean, there's so much... This, you know, we could do a whole teaching series on each one of those words, and they would teach us that these are very vital to who we are. Um, we like talking about love because love is good for me. Like, I like love. Love is great. Makes me feel good. People write songs about it. Love is a happy thing. We like talking about grace because, man, I, I'll borrow Paul's words. I'm the chief of sinners. Like, I have screwed up. And so I'm glad God has grace because, woo, if he didn't, right? We like grace. Grace is a pretty word. It's fun. We like joy. We like pace. Peace, because they make us, make us feel good inside when we say it. But then they say, humility. And you're like, exactly what do you mean by humility? Like, can we just get, like, where's the line? I mean, because I recognize that, like, humility is a good thing, but where's the line? And when you look at the life and the person of Jesus, the same words come to mind. Love, grace, peace, joy. He was forgiving, like all these really good Christian concepts. When you look at the way Jesus lived from the moment he hit the ground as a human baby until the day he gave his life and rose from the dead, the thing he did best was lower himself. Like he wasn't about trying to climb a ladder. In fact, he was at the top. (laughs) He came down. And our verse in Philippians describes it. And this is, I think, really important, actually. A lot of people believe this was like a a hymn in the first century that the the Philippians might have sung. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. A Lord doesn't become obedient, but Jesus did. Obedient to what? Death. Even death on a cross. And we've touched on this verse actually a little bit each week for this whole series. I've just mentioned it or I've read little portions of it, but this is like, this is the meat of it. 
This is where the rubber hits the road when it comes to being the hands and feet because our head, Jesus, never asks us to do anything that he didn't do first. He said, I came down. Jesus had the status and equality of being God. He was God, but he looked down on you and me and the world and he said, the sin of, sin, the sin of mankind is separating man from God. And so he decided his best course of action was to come down and release some of his privilege of being God and to become human. In verse 7 it says, he made himself like nothing. Now imagine being a first century Roman reader hearing this. What? Your ruler became nothing? Like he could have at least come down like as a king. In fact, some of the Jewish people tried to make him a king, but he said, no, that's not what I'm about. That's not what my kingdom's about. We talked about that last week. Could have, maybe a prince, you know, maybe like a rich guy, maybe like a he could have owned like a small chain of like fabric stores, like something, you know, like, no. He came down as a poor carpenter. He said to his followers, you know, the son of man, that's him. He said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. He lived as a homeless, wandering teacher to humble himself. It didn't take long for Jesus to gain a reputation for being wise and learned and all this stuff. And he gained a following. And they wanted to throw money at his feet and make him their king. But he said, no, that's not what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about stooping down and serving. That is what my kingdom's about. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2.5, he says, in your relationship with each other, have the same mindset. It's Jesus. Guys, this should be challenging us today. If you're sitting here like, yeah, I've heard this before, I've read this, I memorized it back when I went to summer camp as a kid, you're missing it. This should blow our freaking minds because we are so self-centered. I'm talking to me right now, I'll turn around. Chris, you are so self-centered. It's not about you. Your mindset should be like that of Jesus. I love working with DART recently. Disaster assistance relief teams of Wilmington. Uh, and uh, I mentioned it earlier, but in case you came in afterwards, I want to make sure you know our church has co-founded an organization uh, with another church in town. And our, our goal is to serve in the wake of this hurricane. And, uh, and so we're in people's homes, and some of it's gross and some of it's nasty. And we're, we're just with complete strangers, and we're serving and we're serving and we're serving. And I tell you what, after the first like week, some of us who were like, at, on the ground every day, we were tired. And we were tired of serving and we didn't want to go cut down any more trees or clean up any more houses. And then this cool thing started happening. The kingdom of God answered our prayers. And so through this organization, people have begun contacting us from churches and service organizations, Christian service organizations all over the country. We have groups from Virginia and Maryland that have already come down. I talked to a guy from Kentucky who's wanting to send a group down. I got a guy from Illinois who's hoping to send a group down. We've had tons of groups from North Carolina who are coming down, and they're serving, they're serving, they're serving. There's all kinds of Christian people who are saying, you know what? You guys are hurting right now. Let us come and serve. Let us lower ourselves. And I look, I look at these beautiful faces of these people who, at the end of the day, are smiling because they got to use a chainsaw. <laughs> And I'm like, I start to get it. That when you put other people first, God knows that it makes the world a better place and then he fills you from that place. And I can't help but think about a young lady that Jesus encountered who had been caught in the act of a sin. She's in the, in the act of adultery. And she was pulled out into the street by some people and, and these religious leaders were gonna try to stone her to death for her, for her crime, for her sin. Remember, this is a Middle Eastern culture. 
And so, and, and they're like, got rocks ready to throw. And, and what does Jesus do? He gets down in the middle of the circle. These guys have essentially loaded guns. They're holding big rocks. And he says, hold, just a second. And he kneels down to this lady. And he looks up at them. And he says, whichever one of you has no sin in your life, you throw the first rock. Okay? And it struck him to the core. And one by one, these guys start dropping their rocks and walking away. And when the circle had cleared, Jesus looked into the eyes of this woman who was probably just crying and blotchy faced and who knows what state her mind was even in because she thought she was about to die. And he said, where are your accusers now? Just get up. Go sin no more. Don't do that again. Jesus hates sin. He hates what it does to our souls. He hates the separation it brings between us and God. But he loves you. And he set the ultimate example of humility by taking a knee and saying, where are your accusers now? Nobody's perfect. But set your eyes on me. Go and sin no more. And from that posture, each one of us can rise up from our dirty mess and we can go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Philippians 2 says, Therefore, if you've got any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind, the humble mindset of Jesus. Church, let's be the hands and feet. Whether it's the wake of this storm or the wake of the mess at your house or what's going on in your life, your friend's finances, your brother's addiction, your boss's jerk attitude, whatever mess we find ourselves in, let's have that mind and let's move forward and not say it's about me. It's about loving someone else because Jesus did it first. Let me pray for us today. God, you are truly good. The song we said, you are good, you're good, you're good. And uh, we're not good. If we're honest, it makes us feel good about ourselves and we say we're good people. You know, we volunteer hours at the school or we, um, you know, we do nice things for our neighbors. But like, we, we also have messed up. And so, uh, but you make it right. You give us grace, you give us forgiveness, and you came to set the example by giving your life. Lord, may we be one in mind to do that as well. Lord, you're good. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.